0: The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit BroadwayChurch.com. Everyone, my name is Mick Nelson. I'm one of the pastors here at Broadway Church. And there is virtually nothing about Christmas I don't like. Like the whole wonder of Christmas, as the Bible describes it, never gets old for me. In fact, sometimes my co workers call me Dr. Christmas. I don't know if that's a criticism or a compliment, I'm going to take it in the best way possible, wouldn't you? Trying to get my head into the whole spirit of Christmas this year, I thought I'd try something a little bit different. I thought I would do an informal but incredibly scientific poll where I would approach some of the people who are on our staff and in our congregation and ask them this question. When is a Christmas tree not a Christmas tree? I mean, haven't you ever wondered about that? When is a Christmas tree no longer a Christmas tree? And so you have here on the screen a Christmas tree all dressed and ready to go. And so in my uh, informal poll, and I'm going to include you, how many people have a Christmas tree up already? Okay, so I've got lots of tree experts here, so your opinion matters. Um, I'm going to kind of remove some of the things that we're familiar with, and you can tell me whether we still have a Christmas tree. Okay, so first thing, I said, if you remove the tinsel, all the shiny stuff, do you still have a Christmas tree? What would you say? Yes or no? Yes, yes. You agree with my sample group that the answer is yes. Tinsel just plugs up the vacuum cleaner anyway, doesn't it? So, I mean, just as good that it's not there. So I thought I'd push the envelope a little bit further. I said, what if you took away the garlands and the ribbons? Would you still have a Christmas tree then? Yes, yes, you're catching on, yeah, it's yes. My, my sample group said the same thing, yes. You still have a Christmas tree even without the garlands and ribbons. So uh, now we're starting to get a little nervous. I said, what if you take away all of the ornaments including all the things your kids made at the Christmas Fantastic, okay? If you take away all the Christmas ornaments, do you still have a Christmas tree? Yes. Yeah, my sample group said the same thing. You still have a Christmas tree. What about if you take away the tree topper, okay? A star or uh, an angel, do you still have a Christmas tree? Okay, there's a little bit of debate, but mostly you're saying yes, my sample group agreed. And so finally, I thought I would just go to the heart of the matter, and I said, "What if you took away all the lights from the Christmas tree, would you still have a Christmas tree?" And you would say, "Yes, yes no, yes, no." Our group said no." In fact, one of our uh, respondents went so far to say is, "If you don't have at least one light, at least one light, you have a hunk of wood, but you don't have a Christmas tree." So for them, Lights was the irreducible minimum. You had to have lights to have Christmas tree, and that's why there are lights on all the Christmas trees around Broadway this Christmas season, because without the lights, you don't have a Christmas tree. Well, you're probably wondering, where in the world am I going with this? Well, this is what I would like to invite you to do with me today. I would like to take our Christmas tree logic and apply it to thinking about what makes the Christmas story the Christmas story. And so this morning, I want to shed some light on what lies at the very heart of the Christmas message. I want to lead you on a journey of discovery into the essential core of Christmas. Now, to help us on our way, I'm going to use another iconic symbol of Christmas, the nativity scene, to help us discover around what the Christmas story revolves. And without glitz or glamour, the nativity scene is the quintessential Christmas decoration, it best presents the image of what Christmas is all about. It's the full Christmas story on display. Now, the Christmas story is told in the Bible in uh, the book of Luke and the book of Matthew, and the nativity scene uniquely brings together details of both Matthew's and Luke's account. Now, all of the familiar characters have their role to play, but they're mostly supporting roles. Not all of them are the lead actors. So who among the cast of Christmas are among the central figures whose parts cannot be lost without losing the plot? So uh, we have a typical nativity scene here. Uh, Some of yours will have a star. Some of yours will have an angel. We'll try to keep the angels in mind. So here are all the people in the Christmas drama. But interestingly enough, only Matthew talks about the magi or the kings, and here they are in all their pomp and splendor. They actually weren't there on the original Christmas night. They showed up a couple of years later. And so um, they're supporting players, but they're not key players. And so we'll just kind of move them over here to the wings, okay? So, now here we are. We've got the shepherds. We've got Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and the animals. But... um, At the end of the day, it really is only Luke that talks about the shepherds. And the shepherds were the witnesses to the main event, but the shepherds were not the main event. Um, And so we'll just kind of move them into the wings for now. And um, by the way, the animals, yeah, we invented those. The Bible doesn't say anything about animals. That's the part that we filled in. So we'll move them aside as well. So, so far... We've removed some of the familiar characters, but we still have the Christmas story. The essence of the Christmas story is still represented here on the table. We haven't lost anything yet. Now, you've got Joseph, and Joseph was chosen by God to be really the protector and the guardian of um, Jesus and and Mary during those uh, turbulent first years of his life. Um, And so uh, Joseph plays an important role, but he is still a supporting character And so we'll just kind of put Joseph on the wings for the moment, not that he's not important, not that we don't love him, but um, he's not the lead character. In fact, when you boil it all down, there's really two characters in the nativity scene that we can't omit either one of them and still have the Christmas story. You need Mary and you need Jesus. These two are at the very epicenter of the Christmas message. And so this morning, I want to zoom in on the Christmas story and focus on its very center. And I want us to come to grips with one unchangeable and essential truth. I want to bring a spotlight to bear on what might be the most mysterious, the most incredible, the most controversial aspect of the Christmas story. Today, I want to talk about the virgin birth. Because if you set this item aside, the whole Christmas story loses its integrity. Now, it sounds like a contradiction in terms, doesn't it? Virgin birth, I mean, everybody knows that those two words don't belong together. I mean, the very idea of it seems preposterous. But in the Christmas story, the way the Bible tells us, it is absolutely central to the plot. In the Christmas story, we discover that God doesn't work the way men work or think the way men think, The virgin birth, or some prefer to say the virgin conception, is the one aspect of the Christmas story that both Matthew and Luke are careful to include. They absolutely agree on the necessity of this one thing. And it is the aspect of the Christmas story that makes all the difference in the world. So I want to read some aspects of Matthew and uh, Luke's accounts. And so I'm going to go to chapter one and just kind of follow along with me. This is how Matthew tells the story. for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew, in this account, tells us why jesus came the key phrase here and everything that matthew has to tell us in this opening part of the christmas story is that jesus came to save people from their sins as human beings we struggle with hardship and disappointment and pain in this life don't we and at the bottom of many of these things is this issue of sin it's at the source of so many of our disappointments in this life. Now, sin, according to the scriptures, is rejecting God's will to do our own will. It is falling short or missing the mark of all that God had in mind for you and I when he created us in the first place. Sin is the rejection of God's way to follow our own way. Sin is believing that you are self-sufficient, self-reliant, self-determining, and living out that belief day by day. Now, the problem with sin is that it separates us from God. It ruins the relationship and causes us to lose connection with the God who loves us. How serious is the human condition? Well, Paul puts it this way. He says sinful humanity is without hope and without God in the world. The fact is this. God is holy and we are not holy. And that reality ruins our relationship with him. And because we are sinners and lost and helpless to make it right on our own, we need a savior and Jesus is the savior that we need. In last week's God Knows Message, Darren talked about the Messiah, the one who knows what we need. And last week's big idea was that Jesus is the answer to our greatest need. That is why he came, to meet us at the point of our need and to seek out and save those who have lost their way. So if Matthew tells us why Jesus came, it's Luke that tells us how Jesus came. And so come with me to chapter one of Luke, and here's how Luke tells the story. And the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary, "'for you have found favor with God. "'Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, "'and you shall call his name Jesus, "'and he shall be great, "'and he will be called the Son of the Most High.'" And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Matthew tells us why Jesus came. Luke tells us how he came. Which kind of caused us to ask the question, well, what exactly is the virgin birth anyway? Well, here's what the Bible tells us. God entered into our world the way we all do via a birth canal. But unlike us, he was born of a virgin. Both Luke and Matthew use the same Greek term, parthenos, to describe Mary as an unmarried and a sexually pure woman. There's no confusion in their mind, no ambiguity in their mind. She was a virgin. Jesus was conceived in the womb of his mother Mary by a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit without a human father. He was at one time the same time, God's son and he was Mary's son. And that's why, despite its comparatively ordinary and familiar appearance, the nativity scene is the premier Christmas decoration. It reminds us of the moment when God directly intervened into time and space to give us his son who would save us. You don't get that same significance from a candy cane or mistletoe. So why is the virgin birth so critical? Why is it so significant? Why do we need to understand it? Well, the very first reason is because the virgin birth helps us to understand who Jesus is. Jesus was born of a virgin, the only human being throughout human history to enter the world in this incredible way. The virgin birth is like a neon sign from God saying, pay attention, pay attention. Something unique is happening here. There's something unique about this son of Mary. Something amazing is taking place. Don't miss this. And though Jesus Christ came into the world like everyone else, there is no one in the world like him. And because of the virgin birth, it was possible for Jesus to be born into the world with two natures, both holiness and humanity. And so when we talk about that, we're really unpacking two key biblical truths. Now you need to bear with me here. I'm gonna discuss a little bit of theology here. I'm gonna talk about the what, but I'm gonna get to the why, so stick with me. Here's what we learn from the scriptures. Jesus was truly human, And he was also truly divine. He was not one or the other, he was both. To say that Jesus was truly human means that to his divinity, he added humanity. He had a body and a mind and emotions and a will just like ours. He grew up like we all do from infancy to childhood to adolescence to adulthood. He was truly human, but he was not merely human. To say that Jesus was truly divine means that he's always existed as God. He existed in God, has his time on the earth, and he continues to exist as God. So Jesus was truly human and truly divine at the same time. But the distinct human and divine natures of Jesus were both distinct and they were united in one person. The divine human natures of Jesus were distinct. He never ceased to become God. He became fully human in every aspect of life except for the commission of any sin, even though he was God. Paul says in Colossians 2 9 that in Jesus the whole fullness of the deity dwelt bodily. And theologians call it the hypostatic union, but probably one of the best um, illustrations of this in the Gospels is when Jesus is transfigured in front of Peter, James, and John, and they see a glimpse of the glory that Jesus had before he came uh, to be born, the glory he had as God before he became a human being. Without ceasing to be God, Jesus put all of his independent use of divinity aside in order to fully enter into the human experience. So that's the what. What about the why? Why is that important? What does this mean for you and for me? Well, because Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus was born without a sinful nature. He was fully human, but he did not sin, as you and I often do. And his humanity gives us a glimpse of what our humanity would look like were it not tainted by sin. Sin did not infect his heart. It did not warp his motives. It did not skew his purpose. It didn't mess up his decision-making. Jesus was born without a sin nature. Now, when we are held accountable for the things that we've done wrong, we are simply getting what we deserve. But Jesus committed no sin that he needed to atone for. And as the sinless human being, Jesus alone was able to represent humanity and pay the penalty that would reconcile a sinful humanity to God. He resolved our estrangement from God because of sin by satisfying God's justice on our behalf. We broke the commandments, but Jesus took our punishment. And because Jesus never sinned, he is uniquely qualified to be the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. So because he was conceived with the Holy Spirit, he was born without a sinful nature. And because he was born of the Virgin Mary, he understands and identifies with humanity. Have you ever had one of those days, one of those days when everything goes sideways and you're left out of sync and out of sorts? Have you ever had a day like that? I had a day like that yesterday. There was something that had took place during the singing Christmas tree, something that was overlooked, and it was in my area. and I thought I need to kind of drive in from Surrey to address this particular need, but I kind of found out about it late. And so I was drinking a cup of coffee, so I grabbed my coffee, I ran out to the car, I got into the car. I've got no gas. So uh, time is ticking. I need to be there at a certain time, so I go to the gas station, get gas. And as I'm driving out of the gas station, I cut it a little fine, and my rear wheels go over the curb. Coffee. Everywhere, just everywhere. And so I'm trying to clean up the coffee and drive out of Surrey on a Saturday in December. It's like rush hour traffic. I'm hitting every single red light out to the highway. I finally get all the way out to the highway. I get to Boundary Road. It's every red light coming in towards the church. And I get to Slocan, and there's a train. (laughs) You ever have one of those days? Jesus understands days like that. He didn't have his own issues to deal with, but he had everybody else's to deal with. He's been there. He's been there in those times. He became one of us. He knows about bad days and unexpected circumstances. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what sorrow and pain are all about. He knows the frustration of being misunderstood and misrepresented. He knows the disappointment of injustice. He understands about suffering and death. There is nothing about what it means to be human that he does not know because for a season he was just like us. He lived our life. And because he identifies with humanity, Jesus has compassion on every human being, whatever their circumstances, whatever their failings. He knows what it's like to be a human being living in a fallen, less than perfect world. Jesus totally gets it. And from the moment of Mary's virginal conception of Jesus, his divine nature became permanently united to his human nature in one and the same person, And so Jesus is as fully human as his mother Mary and as divine as God Most High. And from this paradox flows the whole of the Christian faith. The virgin birth helps us to understand who Jesus is. But the virgin birth helps us in another way. It helps us to understand what salvation is all about because that's why Jesus came. Jesus' human nature shows the potential of humanity as God intended it in the first place. Gives us a picture of the prototypical human being. He shows us that the problem with humanity is not that we're human, but that we are fallen. It's an important distinction. Sin has had its devastating effect in our lives. And because of sin, humanity needs saving. We do, I do, you do. And there are two things here that we need to note. Because Jesus became part of the human race, he is able to represent us before God. From time to time, I find myself beside the bedside of somebody in one of our hospitals here in the city. And when I go to the nurse's station to request access to a patient, uh, he or she will inevitably ask me, are you a member of the family? Okay, they almost, obviously they're supposed to ask that. They always ask me that. And I will typically answer, no, I'm not a member of the family, but I am one of the pastors at Broadway Church. And they usually give me access Because I'm a member of Broadway Church, I can represent Broadway Church. Because Jesus is a part of humanity, he can represent humanity. And because he took on humanity, he can stand before God on our behalf, not for his own crimes, but for ours. Fallen humanity has committed the crime, but Jesus Christ serves our sentence. He does the time on our behalf. Now, the virgin birth enables and qualifies Jesus Christ to be both God and man, to mediate between them, to make atonement for our sin, to make it possible for you and I to be restored to a relationship with God. But the virgin birth also shows us that salvation begins with God's action. Only God can save us. We cannot save ourselves. The virgin birth, with the virgin birth, God took the initiative to reach out to us and put salvation within our reach. God did what only God could do. Salvation is entirely God's act. It's not in any way a human achievement. God took the initiative to rescue a spiritually helpless humanity. And we can only receive salvation through repentance and faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us. The great news of Christmas is that God himself became a man and as a man he died for you instead of you. C.S. Lewis put it this way, The son of God became man to enable men to become sons of God. That's why he came. So here's the big idea. Every Sunday, we try to um, kind of encapsulize the total teaching of the message in one pithy statement. And here's the big idea for this morning. Without the virgin birth, the Christmas story is heartwarming, but it is not life-changing. If the baby Mary holds is not God become man... Then Christmas is a sentimental story, but it's not a salvation story. It's an inspirational story, but it's not a transformational story. If the babe in Mary's arms is indeed the Lord come to earth, then we have a savior who can be our companion for life because he understands and knows our life. We have a savior who has carried the penalty and burden of our sin, and we have a savior who can give us eternal life that begins here and now and lasts forever. You see, the virgin birth changes everything. The issue is not what Christmas means, but rather, without Christmas, what would anything mean? Human history looks ahead to and looks back on the virgin birth and God's entry into the human experience. That's the wonder of Christmas. And here's the greatest event in all of human history, and the only sign we have of it is a baby lying in a manger. Christmas reduced to anything less than this is not Christmas at all. At its core, the heart of Christmas is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. The virgin birth means that God has invaded our world and He knows how to reach us, whoever we are. It means that God entered into our human experience. It means that God gets us, that He understands us, that He identifies with us, that He knows what we need and He's provided it in Jesus. So, why does the virgin birth matter? Why is it so critical? What is actually riding on the truth of the virgin birth? If you take away the virgin birth, what is it that you lose? Well, think this through with me. Without the virgin birth, there is no savior. Without a savior, there's no salvation. Without salvation, there is no eternal life. Without eternal life, there's no good news. And without good news, there's no hope for now or for eternity Without the virgin birth, the Christmas story may be heartwarming at best, but it is not life-changing. David Mathis wrote, the virgin birth is posted on guard at the door of the mystery of Christmas, and none of us must think of hurrying past it. And so this morning, we slow down for a moment to consider the importance of the virgin birth. The power of the Christmas story is that it continues to capture our imaginations and inspire devotion to this very day. It tells us about God and why it was necessary for him to reach out to his human creation in the best way possible by stepping into our world and becoming one of us. If the virgin birth is true, it means there is a God that exists beyond the world of our senses, that he loves us enough to show up in person to save us from our sin. The love that sent his only son to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, and to make things right with God on our behalf, that love flows from the manger to you and to me. The virgin birth means we can be forgiven. That God is taking the initiative to save us. Sinners by birth, sinners by nature, and sinners by choice. Jesus came, born as a babe in a manger, with a mission to take sin out of the way so that we might find God and that we might find life. Is the virgin birth important? Oh, yes. It's the very epicenter of the Christmas message. The virgin birth means God knows how to reach us. And maybe this morning... He is knocking on your heart's door, maybe for the very first time. The God who created the world and was born of a virgin has said yes to you. The question is, will you say yes to him?